Hi, Dave. How are you doing? I'm doing wonderful, Nanette, and I'm feeling blessed. I got my cup of coffee, and we're going to finish our part two interview with poet Dorothy Brooks. I'm looking forward to it. Get going. Right. Let's get going. This is Partnership for the Arts Radio. Come join us as we explore the worlds of art. This podcast was recorded at the Visual Arts Center in Punta Gorda, Florida. And you can find this and other episodes of our talk show on Facebook and our website at partnershipforthearts.group.org. Okay, Nanette and I want to welcome you all back to joining us for another episode of Partnership for the Arts, where we talk art. So, Dorothy, thank you for coming back so we could do this uh, second interview. I'm so glad to be here. Well, we're happy to have you back too, Dorothy. So, when we left off on part one, we were talking about a book by Natasha Trethway. And Atlanta Theater was going to turn this into a play. So how about we pick up from there? That book is particularly interesting to me because Natasha Trethway was teaching in Atlanta when she won the Pulitzer. Spent summers in Atlanta. And Atlanta Theater decided to do a production of the book. And I was like, how do you do a production yeah. of a poetry book? I right. just can't even imagine. Right. And I wasn't even sure I wanted to go for that reason, but I finally decided that I really did want to go. I was just too curious. Understandable. And it was amazing. And actually what they did was they basically staged a reading of the book cover to cover. Really? They didn't leave anything out. They didn't change the order. It, but it was an amazing evening. They had backdrops. and they, people in costumes or? Somewhat, somewhat. Um, and they had, they would change the backdrop, you know, to kind of go with what the poem was about. The thing that was interesting, back to the comment you made about someone else reading the work. Mm-hmm. When you have an actor reading your work, you cannot top that. It is amazing. Really? <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, these poems just came to life. I've heard Natasha Trethway read them, and she reads them very well, but nothing like these actors. It was just amazing. So it was a whole different experience to hear actors reading poems like that. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> you notice she didn't invite us. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about poets reading their own work and you know the whole process, um, poetry life in Sarasota. Yes. In uh, March, February, March. February, isn't it? Yes. Yes. So I think it's February nineteenth. Okay. Weekend, maybe the eighteenth and nineteenth. Right. Right. Yeah. So that's another interesting event. Yes. I hope you're going because the. Poet, the two poets coming, and the one that I just think is wonderful is Ocean Viong, who's a um, very young poet who was born in Vietnam and came to this country when he was about two. And he lived in a one-room house with seven of his family, none of whom spoke English and none of whom could read or write. So he didn't even learn to read and write till he was 11, I think. This is what I've read. 
and yet he writes the most beautiful poetry. And he writes about, some of his work is about Vietnam. And of course, he was too young. Mm -hmm. He gets this from his grandmother and stories he's heard. But I just, he's only written one book so far. I think it's amazing work. So I'm really looking forward to to hearing him. So where would we find this? Poetry Live. Poetry One. Okay. And that is my next note. (laughs) (laughs) Poetry Live. Now, Dorothy, we were talking earlier that you had published a new book, and this was called a chat book. Yes. Actually, some people might not even be familiar with what a chat book is. Well, a chat book is a small book, basically. I think from a publishing standpoint, it is the number of pages that you normally have in one group of pages in a chapter. Yeah, like when you you print the book, make the book. And I always thought it stood for a chapter. You know, a chat book was a chapter. But I heard the other day, and these people all confirmed it, they seemed to really know what they were talking about, that the name came from the fact that they were small books that were sold on the street, and they would call the person who sold them the chap. The chap is selling the books, and so they called them chap books, which seemed a little odd to me. small but enough that you could carry them around. Yes, and I know. think that's the idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I get this impression of, so dear old chap. Yes. 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 Yeah. I think yeah. that's where it comes from. <laughs> yeah. So a lot of poetry is published first in a chap book before it's published in a collection. Okay. There's a, a number of small presses in the country that deal just with chapbooks. Oh, okay. Oh, here in America. Wonderful. Yeah, so then, like, before I published this book, I published a chapbook, and then I used some of those poems, actually two chapbooks, and some of those poems I took and put in here along with some new poems. A good way for readers also to wade in a little bit. It is, because then you can read a collection. It's nice to read a collection from one poet. You know, a lot of times we do this scattershot. We read anthologies and we read one poem by this poet and one poem by that poet. And it's an entirely different experience to read a book. But to read a whole book by a poet, you have to really like the poet and the poems. And so this is a way you can read a small book and still get that connection. Because when, when poems are in a book, they take on some of the resonance of the poem before and after them. And so the order in which the poems are put in the book is really important. And if you read the book from cover to cover, you get some of that sense of movement. Mm-hmm. And so there'll be, you know, a poem about... And different poets have different ways of con- making those connections. Some poets make the connection by theme, mm-hmm. and some poets will make the connection by image. You know, there'll be an image, and this poem might end with an image of a flower, and then the next poem begins with an image of a flower. And so um, the idea, it's almost like putting together a big poem to put together poems into a book of some sort, because it has to have that same sense of movement and that arc where it takes you from one place to another place. So um, do you think this would be a good time to ask for another poem? I think so. Now, she said she was going to choose the poem based on how the conversation went. <laughs> well, that might be tough. Actually. Yeah, so we can just choose anything that you brought that seems 
seems uh, like it's striking you at the moment. Okay. Yeah, and I'm thinking if it starts out with, why am I here? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, this is a poem that was published by an online journal called the Cumberland River Review, and it's, it's going to appear in their anthology of the poems. They selected poems from the first five years, and the anthology is coming out in the next month or two. The first five years of the publication. Of publication, okay. yeah. So this is a poem, and, and this is sort of back to writing about my family and my kids, I guess. But it's called Late at Night, Waiting for My Son to Come Home. The thing that can't be said, the dread. Shadows grow large as night comes on. Stillness slips through the windows, settles over the room, the city. Absence grows larger, grows heavy, too heavy to bear. Stillness, shadows, and waiting. The phone ringing, 4 a.m., ringing, ringing like a feral cat. The man on the high wire sways in the breeze. Below, the falls. The boy swimming, sharks in the water. The child at the zoo slips from his mother's arms. The wolves. Storm shutters are up. Life jackets fasten. Sirens. Clouds on the horizon. Waiting. Listening. For voices. For the sound of a car. For a door slamming. Then the ringing. Not the storm, but the cloud. Big, black as an abyss. Bigger than the sky. Wow. That was chilling. Are we in trouble? I think we're in trouble. (laughs) (laughs) This is Bill Olson, drama teacher at Charlotte High School, and I listen to Partnership for the Arts Talk Show. Okay, we're back, and a big thank you to teacher Bill Olson there, the drama teacher at Charlotte Community High School. Dorothy? No, that really, that was beautiful. Very beautiful. And I think that's a poem that any parent could relate to. Any parent who's had teenagers. Oh, definitely parents with teens. Yes. So that style, um, that form you used, how do you categorize that in poetry? This poem is... I was experimenting when I wrote this poem. I was using a form that I was copying from another poet where she takes the whole story, basically, and just puts it in the title. This is what the poem is about. Okay, and then, tell us the title. So the title was Late at Night, Waiting for My Son to Come Home. Okay. So then there's almost nothing in the poem, really, about what's going on. So it's like the opposite of narrative. It's okay. like an anti-narrative. And so instead, what she does and what I tried to do is just have metaphors that express what it feels like sitting there waiting and your son is late and, you know, what's happened and listening. And, and so that's, that was what I was trying to do in this poem. And it was a lot of fun to write it, actually. And as I said in the anthology, this is one of those poems that I couldn't write until my sons were safely long past high school and college. Right. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. The things you fear the most. Yes. Yeah. Yes, not a parent, but it made me feel guilty remembering my own high school days. <laughs> <laughs> this is a question that I'm sure poets get this as well. So how long does it take to write a poem? 
Well, it depends on the poem. Yes. Okay. Um, some poems just come. They just come, and those are gifts. Um, and different poets operate differently. I tend to do an awful lot of writing and editing in my head before I ever put anything on the page. Mm -hmm. And so, um, but each poem is different, I find. You know, some poems I do edit more once they're on the page. Um, other poems, I do a lot of editing in my head. And then finally I have the line that I wanted and then I put that on the page. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes sometimes they come quickly and sometimes it takes a long time. Right. Do you have different methods that you use or a regular method that you use? And what I mean by that is if you have ah, something just came to mind, do you follow a certain path to that conclusion? versus one that you might have seen something or was influenced by something and then start working on that concept? Well, I guess what I do, and again, it's, it's a little different for each poem. I'm thinking of a poem that I maybe should have read and didn't, but... Um, we have time. We <laughs> can sit here all day. <laughs> Sometimes, you know, I have an experience and I really, really want to write about it, but I just don't know what approach to take. Um, and so I'll work on it and I'll write some things and I'll make some notes and I'll have an idea of what kind of what things are going to happen in the poem. But until I have that voice, until I have, sometimes it's that first line, but in general it's that voice. Um, it's that stance, you know, like in this poem, the stance is sort of distant the thing, and it begins with the thing that can't be said, the dread. It's not, I'm sitting here waiting for my son to come home. It's this distant, this third person distance. And so once I get that stance, that point of view, then a lot of the poem will come. Not all of it, but a lot of it. And sometimes then, I, I think endings are probably really difficult. Um, I heard I heard the other day that um, your best poems come, and they called it the three Bs: the bus, the bath, and the bed. <laughs> and I think for me, it's the bed because you know poems lines will come to me, and I've learned the hard way that if I don't get up right then and write the line down, that line it's is gone lost. forever. Right. It's gone forever, right. and so. You know, if I have all these things mulling around in my head, then when I'm lying down trying to go to sleep, all of a sudden the line will come. Now. Yeah, yeah. So, um, Dave, when I was taking this class with Dorothy, I remember one comment you made. People were talking about their working styles and, and all of that, and I think you said sort of jokingly, but probably not so jokingly, yeah, yeah, I remember I had this one great afternoon of work. I mean, it was really focused. I was really working hard. And at the end of the afternoon, I changed one word. <laughs> you changed one word? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. And, and actually, I love working like that. That's the editing that I do. Once I have the draft, and I usually write the draft out in longhand, and when I'm kind of happy with it, then I enter it. You know, once it's on the computer, it looks finished. 
And so you have to be yeah. careful not to get it on the right. computer when it's not finished yet. But then it's really fun to play around with the form, mm -hmm. to play around with um, the wording, with the line breaks, um, to take out a word, to right. put the word back in, yeah. to change a word, to look it up, you know, in the thesaurus and see are there other words that might work better there. Um, yeah, so all that kind of editing. And, and one of the problems with a short story is you really can't focus. You should, but it's hard to focus that hard on every single right. word. Whereas right. in a poem, you've just got it all right there, and you right. can spend hours just right. rearranging things yeah. and seeing yeah. how it feels and trying it a different way and see how it feels. Yeah. I was going to ask yeah. that since you do the column, you use any of that method when you Oh, in my writing, yeah, for both for both my writing for Florida Weekly and for my blog, I have to have the first line. Yeah. It's the same yeah. thing. I just it kind of comes to me and then I, and then it's my entry point. Yeah. Yeah. So because you want to draw people in immediately. Yeah. And that first line gives you, as I say, the, the stand that you're taking the position from which you're viewing right. the poem is it really close is it this is what happened to me or is it distant right yeah right okay so dorothy uh we were thinking maybe before we wrap up we could get you to uh, read one more poem one more poem okay i'll read the poem that this poem probably took me longer to write than any other poem um because i knew what i wanted kind of what I wanted to say, but I didn't have that first line. Mm -hmm. And I worked and worked and worked on it. I put it aside for a couple of years and I came back to it. And, for a couple uh, of years? Yes, yes. Okay. And, and this poem was actually published in the Tampa Review last year. It's called Peace Park. You notice the silence, the absence of city sounds in this city center. You notice the vast stretches of grass and openness to the sky, the few trees in full fall color. You notice the beauty of the river as it meanders under the bridge. You learn the bridge was the target. You see the single hollowed out shell of a building, the epicenter, and memorials in the distance. People around you speak in hushed tones as if in a church. You see groups of uniformed schoolchildren learning what you are learning, the randomness of destruction, how this city was chosen because it was sunny that day, like New York on 9-11, because Kyoto was cloudy. You find the phrase never again etched in stone. Repeat it to yourself over and over. And then you go with your son, whose grandfather that day was on a warship steaming toward this coast, and your daughter-in-law, whose grandfather defended this same coast, and together you share Okonomiyaki, the special pancakes Hiroshima was famous for before it was famous for this. And now we're kind of... Dumbstruck, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is pretty surprising <laughs> and unusual. So, so I knew when I went there, I had to write about it. Yes. And I knew some of the things I wanted to say, but I didn't know how to make it come together. Right. 
until I, I got that, I, that idea, it just came to me of the second person. You notice the silence. You, The second person is a way of writing from a first person point of view, but distancing from mm -hmm. it. So people say things like, well, when you go to the store, you do this. It's, they don't want to say, well, when I go to the store, I do. And so that second person kind of gave me the distance I needed, but it kept it in my point of view, if you see what I mean. Mm -hmm. And so somehow it came together because I had already thought of for many years about right. all the things <laughs> I wanted to say. Well, see, I, I just got a personal connection out of some of that because my dad was in the Navy in World War II, and they were off the coast of Japan picking up American down flyers. When they were Amazing. raiding Japan, when they got the order to get out yeah. before they dropped the first bomb. Yeah, see, my father was also on a ship that was headed, it was going to be part of the invasion Asia. force. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and they were headed for Japan and they told him to wait. Yeah. So, see? The power of poetry. The power of poetry. Well said, Danette. But then when I think about two, two generations later, um, my son's married to a Japanese girl, and it's like, wow, you know, things really can get better. Mm -hmm. we, can, we can learn that the enemy is not always our enemy forever. Well, I, I think that's part of the way the war went, and America was there to help rebuild. Yes, part of the way the rebuilding went. It's right. because of the way the rebuilding right. went. Right. But when I told her that I wanted to see Hiroshima, her first thought was, oh, we can have those pancakes they make. And it's like, that's what you think of? Isn't that interesting? I mean, that to me was, that to me was just so amazing that people, I mean, it's like if we said New York to people, they wouldn't Im immediately think, you know, we don't immediately think 9-11, but people who had only heard of New York because right. of that, right. that might be all they know. Right. I thought it was just... It shows how myopic, I guess, is yeah, the word um, we can be. Right. Right. Yeah, yeah. But that was a city, and people had other reasons for going to the city and other things they knew about the city. Well, you know, we before we had a conversation before the show about the connection with poetry all the way around there. Yeah, for, yeah. For so. That Dave is a poet. Uh, sorry, closet poetry reader. <laughs> <laughs> and and but, writer. And writer. And writer. And yes. writer. Oh, wow. Oh, well, come to class and show yeah. us your work. Well, I was really considering that until Nanette shared her experience. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, no, I'm just kidding. I uh, I would love to come to the class. Those those workshops and that thing, I, went, I haven't been to one of a workshop in quite a while, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You would love it. Oh, I know. Sign yeah. up. So, well, that's great. That's great. So, um... Oh, okay. You think so now. That's that's good, because you know you're coming with me. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, Dorothy, this has just been so great. Thank you. It's been a lot of fun. I yeah. love to talk about poetry. Yeah. I could do it all day. It's, this has just been great, as always. And educational. And educational. Moving, and it makes me look even more forward to the National Art Exhibit Poetry. Yes, on March 12th. 
Wow. Yeah. Yes. I, it's a shame I missed the last one, but I get to make yeah. this one now. Yeah. So yeah. that's fantastic. Yeah. So great. Yeah. So thank you for having me. This is so much fun to do. Oh, absolutely. I look forward to getting together on some other poetry classes and all that, too. Good. So, good. so Nanette, hey. you have a good day. You too. All right. Next show. Okay. This is Partnership for the Arts Radio. Come join us as we explore the worlds of art. This podcast was recorded at the Visual Arts Center in Punta Gorda, Florida. And you can find this and other episodes of our talk show on Facebook and our website at partnershipforthearts.org.